0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, today as we open your word, would your spirit meet us in this place? May the preaching of your word be your word for the sake and glory of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm gonna look today with us at Hebrews chapter 10, which was our epistle reading. I wanna look at our, our passage in Hebrew with a desire to remind us of what is the backbone of faith. And that is the unwavering hope that is found only in the works of Jesus Christ. It is a hope that cannot be shaken regardless of our circumstances or our feelings. And it sits independent of us because it's made manifest in the person and work of Jesus completed. In the same way that the cool of fall happens and weather changes is a reminder that it's not always hot and humid here in Alabama. I want us to see a reminder today in the person and work of Jesus that we can find joy in the reminder that he has done it. Hope, which we will certainly talk more about as we enter into the Advent season, which wow is coming up very quickly. But around the corner, we'll talk more about hope. But our hope today is in the completed work of Jesus, and it's what bolsters and keeps us secure. Where you place your hope is imperative to your joy. In other words, my life is going to be better because I'm placing my hope in this thing. I'm betting my eternity on the hope in this. Now, notice I didn't use the phrase happiness. I used the phrase joy. This may shock some of you this morning, But I really don't care that much about your happiness, but I do care about your joy. Happiness is fleeting. It's a sad version, I believe, of what God actually wants you to have. Happiness often depends on my mood, what I had to eat, or my circumstances. How many of us have woken up in the morning and said, man, it's going to be a great day. And then out of nowhere, that thought vanishes, and sometimes we don't even know how. It just disappears. Maybe you ran into the 6th Avenue, 20th Street construction, and boom, happiness gone. I don't want us to have the feigning giggle. I want you to have a deep-rooted joy like what you see all over the scriptures. The book of Acts, for instance, where the apostles are arrested and they're beaten and they leave rejoicing. What kind of crazy person rejoices after being beaten with rods? A person with joy. This joy is not dependent on our circumstances. It's deep and rooted. And where do we get that? Where is there hope for that kind of joy? The Hebrew writer called it out this way in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. In other words, the sacrifices were the best way they had, But they never did the full job. God made provisions in this way, but he always knew that there had to be a finality. The thousands of goats and sheep and bulls could only do so much. And so where to find the joy of our salvation? But in verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time, there's bridging the gap where the goats and the sheep and the bulls were insufficient, a single sacrifice for sin he sat down at the right hand of god the king jesus paying the ultimate sacrifice as verse 14 says he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified he sits at god's right hand the posture of completion now i don't know about you but when my day is done When my work is complete, when dinner has been eaten, when kids have been loved on, my wife has been checked in with, basketball has been shot, bikes have been repaired. That's my life, by the way, on most afternoons. Then I get to enjoy the end of the day where I fall into the couch cushions and just relax. I sit. Now, the difference between me and Jesus is I have to do it all over again the next day. He doesn't. He has completed the work and he sits at the right hand of the father. While hearing that should bring us immense joy and hope, we in our humanness are prone to wander and seek those things in other places. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, describes idols that we often try to find hope and joy in that leave us empty. He groups idols into two categories, Surface and source idols. Surface idols, they're the easy ones to spot. I struggle with this issue, like lust or anger or relationship strife or or you name it. Keller and others would argue that these are not really what's going on in the heart. They're just on the surface. They really need to be looked at deeper. And that's what he calls source idols. Source idols are the heart of our idolatry. So surface idols are a lot easier to treat, but like a weed cutting the problem at the surface just leads to it sprouting up somewhere else. And so I want to look at these four source idols this morning, because I believe that one, if not two or three or four are things that we all struggle with and we find and try to put our hope and joy in those things as opposed to the things of Christ now, it is important to note here that it's not bad to desire to the things that I'm about to talk about, but when they become idols, when they become our gods, then we have issues that we need to address. The first one Keller uh, comments on is comfort. Comfort. The person with a comfort idol seeks comfort. They want a lack of stress. They want freedom. Their greatest nightmare is stress and demands. We struggle with this here, and here's why I know this, because many of us live in the suburbs. You know why the suburbs were created? For easiness, for simplicity. They want to give us bigger spaces, bigger driveways, nicer and easier ways of doing life. The root there is to make it easier. So the things that we submerge ourselves in daily are wooing us to want what we want. I want what I want. I mean, I'm guilty of this. I live in a suburb. If I'm being honest, I want it nice and easy. I want an easy life. I mean, look at the Chick-fil-A app of all things. You ever use the Chick-fil-A app? You can type your lunch in there, hit, hit send, and you don't have to wait for three hours in the drive through line. It's ready in 20 minutes or less. I want it easy. I want easy things. I want, to, I want comfort. These things about the promise of comfort of a comfort God is that it never delivers on the promises. Why? Paul mentions it when he says we are foreigners in an alien land. This place is not our home. And when we fight for comfort, we fight against the very fabric of our being that is never going to be comfortable in a broken and fallen world. Though comfort is not a bad thing, comfort makes a terrible God. And it's a problem if that is where we're looking for our hope and our joy. If we're trying to build our life around being comfortable, if that's you, when, and notice I say when, not if, when you get to a place where you're uncomfortable, you begin to lash out at people. Most of the time, it's those who are close to you, but every now and then you convince yourself that the person that cut you off in traffic is doing that on purpose and they had it out for you and they need to die. Right? Because that's made us uncomfortable. Or if comfort is what I seek, if everything would just work the way I want it to work, then the fault is with someone else. It's, it's our spouse's fault. It's our kid's fault. It's our work's fault. It's our friend's fault. When comfort is your place where you've placed hope and you're not getting it, there's an interesting piece of boredom that is also woven into it Because life without risk is often boring. Boredom haunts those who seek comfort as an idol because they've not been designed by God to sit around and do nothing. Real joy cannot be found in the pursuit of self-seeking pleasure. It must be found and can only be found in self-sacrificing service. Anyone who's ever served others with a glad heart knows this is true. Something happens in our heart when we're able to serve others and yet it comes with a cost that might make us uncomfortable. So if you put your hope in comfort, you're missing out on true joy. Now you may be saying this morning, that's not my struggle. Well, don't worry. I want to be an equal opportunity offender this morning. And so maybe one of these other three apply to you. The second one is approval. I just want people to like me. I need affirmation and love, and that's where I've placed my hope, and that's where I want to find my joy. People are going to like who I am. I'm putting my hope in that. When people come across me, they say, I really like that guy. Maybe they come across you, I really like that gal. Of the four that I'm mentioning today, this one really seems to be the one that can enslave someone. What's ironic is that you'll enslave yourself to people that you don't even know, and some of them you don't even like just to get their approval. When the stress and demands of a fallen world press in on someone who's put their hope in approval, they're constantly anxious. If you need the approval of man, people are gotta like me. They've gotta give me the thing that I haven't been able to obtain my entire life. What ends up happening is this, did I do too much? Did I not do enough? You're constantly in your head, wondering if you blew it and you enslave yourself to the opinions of others. You make yourself sick wondering if you came across the wrong way or you offended someone or you didn't do enough for that person. If your hope and joy is dependent on how others see you, it can waver day to day, hour to hour, and even minute to minute. You will not experience true joy with the fleeting moments of happiness. Thirdly, control. Our ability to control the world around us. Have you ever been driving in the car and the passenger seat sits another person and they're hanging on to every bar or handle that they can grab onto? Fear for their life. Maybe that's never happened to you. Praise God, that has happened in my car before. But I'm in perfect control. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. But the person beside me is in the deepest prayer they've ever been in because they're not in control. They're panicking. If our hope is in control, we convince ourselves that if I can just manage everything in my world, everything is just going to be the way I want it. So if I can control my money, I can control my spouse, I can control my kids, I'll put my hope in that and we'll build our whole lives around being in control. The problem is, you're not in control and you never will be. It's painful because we want certainty. I wanna know everything is going to be okay. I have standards, and I think people should live up to those standards. The fact that they happen to be my standards, that's just coincidence, right? I need to get you to do what I want you to do so that everyone can be happy. Now, if you're married, tell me how that's going. That never works. Honey, if you'll just do what I need you to do, everything will be great. And by rarely works, it never works. When you put all your hope in control and then life happens, we get lonely and we're constantly worried because we're not in control. Fourthly, power. You just want success and influence. You want to win and if you ever lose, it's a reflection on you and you don't measure up. We put all our hope in, I'm going to succeed, I'm never going to fail, I'm going to be the best at everything. And when the stress and demands of a fallen world press in on someone with their hope and power, it leaves them feeling angry. They feel humiliated when they fail, and they will fail, because inevitably we all fail. How many of you have failed? You've said something you shouldn't have said, done something you shouldn't have done, failed at this project or that project. It's true in all of us. Everyone has failed at some point. I'll jump ahead just a bit to what I'm going to hit on in just a minute. But it's this, that the good news in Christianity is that it creates space for us to say, I'm weak and I'm not strong. I'm not sure here. I'm not as confident as I wish I were, but I know someone who is. I can't, but I know the one who can. It keeps us from banging on our chest like we're the one who succeeded. You're the one who's been saved despite your weaknesses. If you put your hope in these places, and again, I believe all of us have done so, maybe one, two, three, or all four of them at some point. If, you want, if, if what you want is comfort, your joy is affected. If what you want and need is approval, your joy is affected. If what you need is control, your joy is affected. If what you need is power, your joy is affected. So where do we place our hope? I could just say Jesus right here and be done, Right? Let's just say Jesus and call it a day. But I want to give you a little bit more than that to chew on because I think the writer of Hebrews gives us more than that in Hebrews chapter 10. If you look down towards the end of the passage today in verse 19, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. A summary of this this morning and hear this is that you're completely known by God. And you're welcomed in his presence. You're completely known by God. There's no secret hid. We say it every time we do communion. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secret is hid. You know it all. You know the area that I don't want anybody else to know about. You know the sin that I'm struggling with the most, God, that I I don't want to confess to anyone. You know the struggle of these four idols that I fall into. There's no secret that he doesn't know, and yet he welcomes you in his presence. How is that possible? The Hebrew writer says it best. Our confidence to be in the presence of the Lord today and always is because of the shed blood of Jesus, making a new and living way. We're justified completely, and because Jesus is our high priest and knowing our sin, he loves us anyway, we can draw near with true heart, and full assurance of faith. Praise God. That's the best news I can give you today, that you can draw near because he knows who you are and he welcomes you, that he sees you for all that you are and he wants you. Because of Christ's work in us, you can come to him confidently and with full assurance. That's worthy of saying amen to this morning because it's great news that we get to come in the midst of our sin. You want to experience true joy and find unfailing hope. You draw near. You get in the presence of God and you hold fast to what we know is good news. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying. Hold fast to the confession that you know that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you're saying, I've heard all this before, nothing new. You don't know how bad I'm struggling. You don't know how deep my sin is. Listen, the Bible is full of people who make our sin look weak. I mean, just take David, for instance. Look at his resume. It includes rape, adultery, and murder. But God is greater. Jesus' blood is stronger than our sin. And so hear this this morning. You have not out the grace of God. You cannot out the grace of God. He has sprinkled your heart clean, what the Hebrew writer says. Just sprinkled. It didn't even need a power washer. He just sprinkled it clean. And then he said, any of the rest of the stuff that's still there, I'm gonna cleanse your body and you're welcomed into my presence this morning. When life is uncomfortable and lonely and out of control and you feel powerless, you can go to the one who can actually do something about it. Now, the last thing in Hebrews... He says to stir one another up, to stir one another up. So maybe you're saying, I don't have the strength to even do what you're telling me to do. I don't have the strength to go to God. I don't have the strength to run to his presence. The good news is you don't have to do it by yourself. The body of Christ is meant to stir one another up. And so when I'm weak and I can't do it, I need you to come in and say, hey, it's not that bad because Jesus has got control of it. We stir one another up so that Christ is working and Christ is powerful in our life. When we fall short, he is our strength. That's where we put our hope this morning. That's where we find our true joy this morning. And so you, what are you struggling with? What are the things that you've put in the place of where that hope and joy comes from that Christ may be saying this morning? Hey, put those things aside and experience true hope and true joy in me let me pray for us father we do confess where we've tried to find hope and joy in other places that are not you lord we're all guilty of it i know personally for me i I, I want comfort i want to i want an easy life sometimes i try to find my hope and joy in those things and lord forgive me Forgive me for putting my hope and joy there and not completely in you at times. Would you forgive us and would you draw us near to you now that we may come into the presence of the Almighty God with great confidence because of the work that you have done on our behalf. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.